Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. To be a woman of color from this particular part of town and to be a constable was really important to me and very important to my family, particularly to my father, who's been a constable for a number of years. So it was really hard to say no to join, but then cannabis showed up and and cannabis showed up in the most crazy way for me. This is The Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast and around the world who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving, continuing on her mission to lift up the stories of the women creating the cannabis industry by sharing their canna stories with you. So go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's the Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Um, so today I have a special co-host because my canna bro, Dave, he's out. Can you believe? He went and did something without me. But we have my new canna bro today, John Gay. Thanks for helping me out today. He's like the Dave of Detroit. Is that how you think of yourself? Yeah, let's go with that. I appreciate that. Nice to be with you, Joyce. Thanks for joining us. Um, Do you record any cannabis podcast out there in Michigan? Not yet, but it is an area that I am definitely looking to get into for sure. Oh, excellent. He's a man ahead of his time. And we had a little, um, I don't know, Jewish connection before the show started. So I'm just going to read this little inspiring quote because, you know, that's what we do in cannabis that I actually didn't know. So, you know, I'm... I became weirdly religious and a woman of faith over the um, the pandemic. And this is something I received from, um, I think, is my mother's care facility. And they wanted me to have a message. So here it is. The dream of restored wholeness is sounded out dramatically by the shofar blasts. Each series of shofar blasts begins with a tequila, a whole sound. 
It is followed by the Shavarim, a tripartite broken sound whose very name means breakings. I started off whole, the shofar speech says, and I became broken. Then follows Teruah, a staccato series of blast fragments saying, I was entirely smashed to pieces. But each series has to end with a tekiah, promising a wholeness once more. The shofar cries out a hundred times on Rosh Hashanah, I was whole, I was broken, even smashed to bits, but I shall be whole again. Rabbi Art Green. Isn't that lovely? That is really cool. I like the idea behind that. It takes me back to growing up and going to Hebrew school and going to temple and, uh, and, and thinking about the shofar and how big a deal that was and hearing the story behind it is really cool. So I will say I'm a 56-year-old Jew and I actually didn't know that. So I am so happy learning something new every day. And I feel like that always ties into cannabis. We're talking about oneness and becoming whole and healing ourselves. So there we are. Everything comes back to cannabis on the show, John. If it's any consolation to you, Joyce, a 40-year-old Jew sitting right here, I did not know that either. (laughs) All right. So we're educating people on everything. Um, All right. So today we are rounding up our Massachusetts Cannabis Ladies Month. But before we begin, we want to thank Women in Cannabis Expo and Brooke Westlake for supporting the first month of season three. Thank you, Brooke. It was a great experience out there in Reno. It was awesome. And I got to meet so many ladies and I'm looking forward to next year. And today, we have a special segment guest, Mallory Callahan, I hope, of author of Mary Jane, The Medicine Train, which she describes as the magic school bus of cannabis. I'm looking forward to talking about that. But let's just begin by introducing today's guest. I was introduced to today's guest in a clubhouse room, and her handle is Roxbury Girl, which she can explain to us in a minute. But I knew it was a connection to Boston, and I was so happy to meet her. And how she transitioned from a city constable to a cannabis herbalist is a story she will share with us today, along with her great insights into how her unique skill set has positioned her to succeed in this emerging industry. Please welcome to the Canna Mom Show, Mika Brown. Mika, welcome. Hey, Joyce. How are you? Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you for joining us. And um, we don't even live that far away from each other, but we met on Clubhouse, which is great. <laughs> I mean, that's the power of the Internet, right? It is. And um, so, all right, this is an international show. Can you just explain Roxbury Girl and the significance to sort of who you are? And um, maybe is that connected to your music, too? Or I'm not. Will you explain it. <laughs> OK, so I have a few Instagram handles. Uh, one of which is Roxbury Girl. And it's kind of where I just post stuff really particularly about me being from Roxbury, which is a town in Boston. Um, I was born and raised here. My grandmother migrated here in the, the late 50s, early 60s, and has really lived in the same place for 52 years. Wow. And um, yeah, I went to college, uh, went to Babson College and moved away and lived with my husband for a period of time, but I came back, came back about, how old's my daughter, 13? Came back about 12 years ago and have really kind of devoted myself to my community and I do a lot of community work, but also really want to connect this community with cannabis. So that explains my Roxbury girl and then just so people, yes we talk this is my Massachusetts month so I talk a lot about Boston because this is you know kind of this area we talk about being um, impacted by the war on drugs and negatively and 
So again, just like many cities around the country, we have certain areas that we disinvested in really. And Roxbury was one of those communities. So you grew up there. So you've seen the difference. Can you talk about sort of what it was like growing up, what's going on now? And um, this idea that you're bringing this back into a community that feels like it was hurt by the war on drugs. What's sort of your, <laughs> what's your special magic? I grew up here in the 80s, um, which we know was um, the height of the war on drugs in the inner city. Um, a lot of crime, uh, the crack epidemic was rampant. Um, and, you know, I grew up in that sort of uh, transition from the 80s to the 90s, where we began to see a little bit of progress, but not that much. I, when I went to college, I left Roxbury and I went to Wellesley and I lived in Wellesley. Wow. And and we, I just so people know, well, Wellesley is really not that far. But again, like in many communities, we have a certain city area of a kind of, kind of dense urban area. And then Wellesley is just like bucolic. Complete sort of. oppo- yeah, yeah, complete opposite. <laughs> It's it's like the Beverly Hills of Massachusetts in comparison yeah. to Roxbury. Um, and so that's a good, that's a good description. I've never heard that. That's funny. It's the, it's the, best, <laughs> the best description. Um, and shortly after that, I lived in Newton for a period of time. I lived in Chestnut Hill, actually, which is the convergence of Boston, Brookline and Newton, for those that don't know, which is where my husband grew up. Um, my husband and I actually met in high school in Boston because he lived in the Boston side of Chestnut Hill. So he had to go to high school in Boston. So that's how he and I met. And shortly after college, I lived there and it was just miserable. Like it was just awful. No, there was no community. And that's interesting. The community part of this. So with your husband, we yeah. had music together. Was that part of your community? Yes. Part? Yeah. So yes, how did, okay. yes, yes. So let me just go back a little bit. Okay. Okay. So even though I grew up in Roxbury and it was such a harsh condition to grow up in. There was always a sense of community. I knew all of my neighbors growing up. You know, I kind of grew up on a coldest, kind of not a dead end street, but you know, every we lived in a fishbowl, so everybody could see each other. Everybody knew who was coming and going. Everyone knew everyone's parents. I grew up with about 15, 20 kids my age, and you know, we did traditional things like play hide and seek and all that sort of thing. But as it got dark, we went in the house <laughs> and that yeah. was that. And, you know, to watch a community that was heavily devastated um, by the war on drugs kind of have a, a second act in the last 15, 20 years is amazing. But that second act is coming on the heels of gentrification. Right. You know, there's, there's a significant amount of gentrification happening in Roxbury, um, particularly because of its proximity to Boston. I mean, on a good Friday night, I can get to downtown Boston in 10 or 12 minutes from here. Right. So we have a whole lot of hipsters and young people moving into the city, driving up the property tax and grandma can't afford to keep her house. And that's what's happening here. I grew up around here. So I get the whole kind of proximity. It's a beautiful area. So old, um, some of the older neighborhoods and I, I have a Jewish yes. connection that, you know, it was, again, it was a place where immigrants came generally. So that's where my family was. My family has Roxbury roots as well, but mm-hmm, the history, mm-hmm. his, the history of Boston, everyone knows. So we left and mm-hmm. <laughs> we sourced out of Foxbury and now it's this yep. beautiful place that people want to bring back. It makes a lot of yes. sense. Um, yes. So you have, since I've heard this issue, so because real estate prices are increasing so dramatically in Boston that some of these economic empowerment communities may, there's some issues because of the value of the housing is actually, it's doing very well now. So is that something you're running up to when you're doing your work or? I'm not doing any work necessarily in that. But, yeah, yeah. Um, 
But what I'm seeing is that a lot of my friends are having to leave or they're having to raise the rents on tenants that they've had forever. Right now for a three bedroom in Boston, it's about 4K, which is insane. Yeah. Um, I live in Cambridge. It's the same. I mean, I, and I rent, and I rent out to, I say I have a boarding house. I rent out to like homeless musicians and I don't charge them very much. I'm like that old lady who lives upstairs. (laughs) (laughs) But over here, what's happening is, is these Roxbury homes are huge. These these homes are huge. And, and as you say, in the sixties, they were abandoned, like an entire immigrant community left this neighborhood and it was resettled by African-Americans that were migrating from the South. So with that, the housing values plummeted. And so folks that have been owning their homes for years now are facing these situations where developers are coming in and turning two-family homes into four-family homes. They're selling them for six and seven hundred and eight hundred thousand dollars And when that happens, when three of those homes happen on a block, the property taxes increase. And so what's happening to our elders is, is they're either A, selling or they B, having to raise rents, which is forcing yep. out people who have lived here for 20, 30, 40 years. People like my grandmother who have been here for 52 years are having to make choices to move somewhere else, which is away from their community, away from what they know. Um, so that is something that is driving me nuts. And I am working with some community leaders to kind of like figure out how we can you know, make some things happen. But most importantly to me is the reintroduction of cannabis to this neighborhood. So so can I I just kind of go back with your story? So you have, in addition Mm -hmm. to being a a, deep roots in this community and this very impacted community that is coming back because it should, and how do we keep that? But you have a criminal justice connection as well before you actually got into the work. So (laughs) just talk about, because it's all of it kind of builds to where you are now. So just talk about that. Yeah. So I went to school to study business and then, quickly transferred to study music. My husband and I started a recording studio and then I got sucked into the family business, which is we're a family of constables. I got pulled into that about 11 years ago and, you know, it was pretty exciting. Every day was a totally different day. For folks that don't know, constables are who serve civil process. Um, So in some places they're called process servers Uh, That work is also done by sheriffs in some communities as well. But Boston actually has the oldest, longest performing constables in the country. I didn't Uh, know that. Yeah, yeah. I I, I used to be a divorce attorney and I have to have people served. It was always like this weird, scary thing. I'm like, I think they're going to be in a hotel at this time between these two hours. And they're like, okay. I'm like, really? My God. Okay, go. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) that's, that's, I mean, sometimes that's how it's done for us. We're given... Uh, she looks like this. She drives a red car. <laughs> she parks in the front of her house. She's home at this time to this time. But yeah, that's funny. It, it's a very unique body of officers. Before there were Boston police, there were constables. Um, and that relates back to the old English, you know, the English settling here and, and them having constables and not police. So the term cop comes from constable on patrol. Look at this, people. I, I had no idea. So we learn on this show, it's not just about cannabis. It's about the history of policing in America. Constable yes. on patrol. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> so to be a woman of color from this particular part of town and to be a constable was, 
was really important to me and very important to my family, particularly to my father, um, who's been a constable for a number of years. So, you know, <laughs> there you go. Was, All right. It was really hard to say no, you know, to join. Um, but then cannabis showed up and, and cannabis showed up in the most crazy way for me. So let's go up there. So, all right, there's a company out here. Do you want to start with Pure Oasis, which kind of, is that well, how you go? You're breaking not, it? You want to begin the, before that? No, let's go back a little bit. Let's okay. go back a little bit. So thanks to my lovely children, I somehow decided to start growing a garden. And I, and I simultaneously decided to start a body care company. So I started kind of infusing the herbs that I was growing into body butters. And that's a whole nother conversation for another day. Um, and while I was doing that, my sister-in-law was suffering from cervical cancer. Uh, she has since passed, but she was suffering from cervical cancer and cannabis was one of the tools that she used to kind of help herself. Um, people don't necessarily die from cervical cancer. They die from wasting and that's what happened to my sister. She died from wasting syndrome. And that's when I kind of got it in my head, the merging of the cannabis with the body butters, because her medical card showed up the day after she died. And oh, so, yeah, that really kind of like hit me somewhere that I can't even explain. But it started me on this journey with cannabis and how I could somehow begin to provide relief for people um, by making cannabis topicals. So I decided to study herbalism because, you know, <laughs> how do you how do you do that? How do you infuse herbs and know which ones to use? So and is um, this part of anything like your family, did you anybody else, you know, nope. were they gardeners or anything nope. like? Nope. Just you. Just, nope. OK. My, wait, my, wait, wait, what year are we? We're about 20. The herbalism started in 2019. The idea okay. came in 2018 and herbalism started in 2019. Okay. Uh, the only connection I can say is, is my Nana grew up on a farm in South Carolina. Her, her grandmother uh, was a sharecropper. So my, my Nana grew up during pre-World War and the Depression on a farm and migrated here in her 20s. And I have been listening to my grandmother talk about growing up on a farm my entire life mm -hmm. and kind of having these visions of grandeur of wanting to be a little girl on a farm. So mm -hmm. the gardening and all of that herbal stuff probably comes from there and inherently in some weird, strange way. I'm all into this. I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm into the psychedelic feminism now. I'm going all the way in. I'm like ancestral. <laughs> yeah. My yeah. husband's like, we're going in, honey. We're doing it. Right, so, yeah. So you do have a little bit, a little, you know, a yeah. little farming in you. Yeah. Yeah. So I um, engaged into this herbal program, which is in Brooklyn, New York. So it requires me to commute. I start commuting every weekend and an opportunity comes up for me to study cannabis by itself take an intensive course. So I took the course and I fell in love with what it could do medicinally um, and began to simultaneously study cannabis science while studying herbalism. And then, um, were you fascinated by the plants? So I'm not a gardener, although I did finally grow my own this year, but some of the people who are just like horticulture were just fascinated by the, you know, male and female plants and just that sort of aspect in it. In addition to the, everything else. The yeah. cannabis is amazing. Like I'm glad that I kind of got to study herbs and then jump into the cannabis plant because particularly what the female plant can do is like crazy like humans can't do it you know like it, it can hermaphrodite itself it is so in tune to its environment it's just it, yeah I geek out essentially on 
on plant science and what plants can do. I, I really found like my home with this line of work. When you find that thing and you love it so much, it, no one can separate you from it, you know? Yep. And that brings me to my transition point when I began to realize that I needed to do something different okay. other than law enforcement. Were you feeling like the stress of the work in your body? Were you not were you starting to feel yeah. before your time? Oh, were you going through all that? Absolutely. I mean, being a constable, we worked in, in housing. We worked in landlord tenant law. So uh, I was the eviction lady and I saw people on mm-hmm. the worst days of their lives. And that was, you know, you, how do you put out a single mom with kids and then you go home and you hug your kids? Like that's, that's what I was dealing with. I was starting oh, to deal that with that. That is hard, Mika. Cause I worked on the yeah. other side. This is how I got into, well, I used to be an advocate for unhoused families. So I was on mm-hmm. the other side when they showed up at the office, but like just the drama of it all. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. All right, now what do we do? It was, very, it was very traumatic. And then, you know, there were the days I was showing up and I had no idea what was on the other side. If it was going to be a gun or what, yeah. I, you know, kicking doors in and just really like getting in there. Um, the work was becoming traumatic and I needed something to change what I was feeling in my body and in my heart. You know, that's what studying herbalism really provided me was an opportunity to get away from all of that. And once once you start to walk in another direction, you know, yep. you, your heart just goes. So I had to tell my dad, you know, that I was leaving. I didn't really tell him everything because I just knew it wasn't going to work. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't seem like, the, the, although I did just talk to Vanessa Jean-Baptiste. She's down in Brockton and she had sort of like, you know, she was working in criminal justice and had to tell a parent she's going into marijuana. And they were mm-hmm. like, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. But now I they're proud of her. The only person other than my husband that I told, and I had an interesting conversation with my children at the time, but the only person that I really told was my Nana. Um, she's someone who's lived a long time. She's has incredible wisdom and she just knows a lot about everything. She knows, you know what I mean? Like she uh-huh. just, even if she doesn't really know about it, she can provide insight on it. So I went to her and I said, listen, I'm thinking of doing this thing here. And, you know, I just want your, your support. And she said, well, we didn't send you to that fancy school for you to be a drug dealer. She said, but I know you and I know your heart. And I know, I know how you move. And I know that you wouldn't be getting into something unless it was worth it, unless it was meaningful. And so she said, I support you and I wish you luck. And I got five on it. And in the, in the hip hop can of world, that usually means I got five on a dime bag, but I don't really think she fully understood what she was saying, but that was her way of telling me that she was giving me all of her support. So once I, once I had her support, there was nothing my parents could say or anyone could say to me that was going to stop me. You just need one person to believe. I mean, you have to believe in yourself, but you need one other person and then you can go like wildfire. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So all this, so you're going and then, and then does this lead to Pure Oasis? What's next? So so I, I stopped working for my dad, like on a Tuesday and then on Thursday I got hired at Pure Oasis. Just explain who Pure Oasis is because people don't, not even Sure, Boston. sure. So Pure Oasis is the first Black-owned cannabis dispensary in Massachusetts um, through the economic empowerment program that the Cannabis Control Commission has mm-hmm. put forth to address social equity and the war on drugs in Massachusetts. So they, the dispensary happens to be in Roxbury. It borders Roxbury and Dorchester. 
Uh, so it's literally in my neighborhood. I could walk there right now in about five minutes. So that was really important to me that I was going to be working in cannabis in Boston, in my neighborhood with my people. Mm-hmm. It was so awesome. It was a great experience. In four months, I went from a supervisor to the general manager. And that was incredible because there were no black women in management, much less owner operators, but in management, in cannabis, in an operating dispensary east of the Mississippi at the time. <laughs> it was just- oh my Lord. Wow, America, we can do better than this. I just like, <laughs> holy moly. Okay. Well, it's, it's great because in that one <laughs> calendar year, there are several of us now. In one calendar year, there has been an incredible amount of, a significant amount of change. Like, it's amazing. Now, when I go to, when I went to, um, what is it called? Nikan this year. Nikan, yep. Mm-hmm. When I went to Nikan this year, it was completely different than when I went oh. um, in 2019. Totally right. different experience. Um, you know, we're learning, I, we're growing sort of, we're getting better. We still have miles to go, but we are getting I mean, better. We did have a black woman mayor for like a day and a half. So, you know, yeah, we are for, changing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for, for a few months, for, for a few months. months. All right. So you have a very unique skill set. So what was it that you were applying? Cause I think this is great for women to hear that you don't have to come into the life and be like, my mission is to work in cannabis. The thing about cannabis is that you can use your passion or whatever it is your skill set is, and you can find a vocation, which sounds like what you did. So what was it that you knew uniquely and how is it helping you now? Like, cause you've moved on from there. So there's another after there's more oh, to yeah. the story people. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's way more to this story. Yeah. Um, so when I was hired, the, the gentleman who hired me also came from a law enforcement background. And so he understood the unique perspectives that I brought to the table. Even I, in that moment, did not understand what it was that I was going to bring to Pure Oasis. I just knew I wanted to be involved. Um, but my leadership skills, let's understand people. I got up every day and went to people's houses and knocked on their doors um, with a team of movers quite possibly another constable. I had to relay information back and forth to my office, the attorney's office, sometimes the opposing attorney's office, the landlord and the tenants while, while going through this process. Yes. While probably being the most calm person in the room. Um, My father quickly learned that women offered a completely different skill set to constable work than men did that I had the ability to really get people to calm down, to figure it out. We figured it out together and to make the whole process a lot more smoother than imagine some big brutish man coming and knocking on a woman's door and telling her, you got to get out today. There's a certain way that I could handle things that they couldn't. And so I brought that skill set to a cannabis industry that is fraught with a lot of preconceived notions a whole lot of bro culture because it's heavily dominated by men. That's um, what we're breaking. That's literally, you're doing the work that I talked about. You are breaking that culture because if they don't see it a different way, they literally have no idea. It's not really their fault, but you're showing them a new way. I'm showing them a new way. So I came in initially thinking that I was going to learn a lot, which I did. No question. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot about myself, um, but not realizing how much that I had to offer them. So I had been in retail from the age of 14 until like, you know, I graduated. No, until I had my first kid, I had always worked in some sort of, you know, either after school job or my first job kind of situation all through college and, you know, into adulthood. 
So I knew exactly how to run a POS system. I knew how to talk to customers. I knew how to count money. <laughs> I knew an how to important count part money. for a business. That is such an important part. Especially a business that is primarily cash-based. So, you know, at the end of the night, these guys were just taking the money and running it through the machine. And whatever the machine said is what they would put down on the paper. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. This is $25,000. You have to break it up in increments. You have to count each thing separately. You have to track it. You need a sheet, guys. Where's the sheet? I mean, they were, you know, these were guys who, yes, they had probably worked in the cannabis gray market. Yes, they had probably maybe been around cannabis their entire lives um, in some way, shape, or form. And we won't get into that because I'm not outing anybody here. But they had never run. They had never worked at the Gap. I worked for the Gap. (laughs) You know how corporate America works? And this is a very regulated, very regulated, very regulated industry. And we have so many banking issues. And if you really make a mistake, you're in trouble, especially someone being watched like Pure Oasis, I would imagine, as a leader. Yeah. That was the other thing that I brought to it is in reading court documents for 12 years, I got a knack for understanding law, how it's written, how to interpret it, the vaguity of it. I keep saying that word. That's a made up word, guys. But it is, <laughs> regulations are just so vague and, and yep. it's almost purposeful um, because it's open for interpretation. Yep. Just don't be on the wrong side of that interpretation. Yep. So absolutely fully understood how to approach the law from a regulatory perspective in a way that the people that I was working with didn't. So all of my prior skill sets, even working in the music industry, I, you know, I worked in the hip hop industry. I also worked in classical. All of those skill sets came together because there's such an overlap between hip hop and cannabis. So a lot of my husband's friends are now my friends exclusively because <laughs> they're like your wife, your wife is the plug man. So <laughs> we like you, dude, but she is and who we really, yeah. <laughs> she, you know, some, someone called him the other day asking about someone that was referred to them in the music industry. And they're like, you know, we, we know how you are, but they also said they're in business with your wife. So if they're in business with your wife, I know her. They, they got to be good people, but we oh just want to confirm. You're like the J-Lo. <laughs> You're elevating him. That is hysterical. All right. All right. I got to go. take a quick break, but we got more. So we got more. We'll be back with our guest, Mika Brown, about what she's doing now at Mellow Fellows and any other advice she has for Herbal Gardenist. After we talk with my friend Mallory Callahan about her cannabis story, Mary Jane and the Medicine Train. And then before we talk, I just want to thank the Women in Cannabis Expo for supporting our month of Massachusetts Canna Women Stories. It was such a great event in Reno. It was a little overwhelming, honestly, to meet all my cannabis friends who I've only known virtually for the past year and a half. But um, I'm definitely looking forward to next year. And I hope that the women, we all inspired another cohort of moms and caregivers to use their passions to meet the needs of our emerging cannabis industry. But now we have a Massachusetts woman who is doing that. I want to introduce Mary Callahan, another Massachusetts mom. So she's using her passions for cannabis in a very unique space and way. So welcome, welcome. And can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing with this book and um, how we find the book? Yep. Yeah. Hi, Joyce. Um, So 
Mallory, not Mary. Mallory. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> it's so close. I, I, I pronounced change. everyone's names wrong, but yeah. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. So I am a stay-at-home mom and a uh, quarantine homeschooler. So this has kind of been like my project since last January. Um, and pretty much I created Mary Jane in the medicine train as like a compilation of the stories that I would kind of pull from the internet and use to educate my kids on like how cannabis helps them. And I decided to like write the book because when I would tell my family about how I would educate them, I had one time my cousin was is battling, excuse me, was battling from ovarian cancer. She's now in remission, thank God. Um, But when she was using it, it was really hard for her to explain to her 12 year old son that she was using medical cannabis as a form of treatment, you know, in medicine, because he was so against it. She was like, oh my God, I wish I had this. I wish that you were my mom. So I could, like, I could have, <laughs> I would have been able to, you know, explain it to him better. And maybe and so, but this is such a beautiful way. thing. I keep hearing this. We're feeling a need that we wish we had. So you wished you had this thing. So you're like, okay, here we go. Right, yeah. exactly. And I kind of, me and my husband were medicated one night and we were going through TV and, and we saw the magic school bus. And I was like, oh my God, wouldn't that be so cool if there was like a married, like a medicine one? And he was like, oh my God, Mallory, that's what your book should be named. Woo. And we kind of just like went off of there. And, and, and like, for oh. anybody who isn't familiar, just explain, I do, I'm very familiar with it. Can you just explain what the magic school bus is just for anyone who might not know exactly what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, the Magic School Bus is like an old children's TV show that used to yeah. teach, you know, science in a very cool yeah. way with Miss Frizzle. Yeah. And she was so <laughs> awesome. And I loved her energy. And, and like, I'm so colorful and I'm loud and I'm like, I'm just like Miss Frizzle. And I was like, I want Mary Jane to be like that as well. Like, because that's what she does. She saves lives. And she would right? get on a so, bus and they would go into the body and do things. And it was like, yes. yeah, it was a magic school bus. It was literally a right. school bus. That was, it magic. was literally okay. a school bus. It was literally a school bus. You would take some kids from a school. which is a little weird, but whatever. We won't we'll get back to that. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, so yeah. Let's talk about your book. So let's talk about. So here you are. You're trying to explain. Because again, this is moms. I talk about moms and caregivers. How do we talk to our kids in this new era? Right. We know it's healthy. We know there's a whole generation of dare women who are just trying to fight back against what they were you know, taught to believe. And their own kids are going to be so much better prepared if they face this again. And that's what you're helping to teach them. So just talk a little bit about that part of it. Yeah, of course. So in my book, I kind of made it like a big thing to not really talk about how people use cannabis, right? So we're talking about the medical benefits here. They're, we're talking about they're young. They don't need to know how I'm taking my medicine, right? They just need to know that it helps mommy and daddy or grandma or grandpa like they just need to know that it's it's helping them just how regular medicine would so we talk about ADHD yes so we talk about what it helps with so for example we will meet a child and his mother mm-hmm. in their state and we'll find out how they were able to get the medical license and what it helps him with, how it helps him throughout the day, what he's able to do now that he has access to his medicine. Right. But then we'll also talk to somebody who is like hidden and it's it's illegal in their state and they're working with legislators to try and change it. 
but you know they're still so far so it's like we're right. going everywhere because it is i mean again across the country in different states it's so very different and i kind of forget that being in massachusetts because this is what we have here but it's right. still especially for moms and caregivers it's still a little bit dangerous people like this is the truth so the idea that we're normalizing it through stories especially at every end so this is awesome And that's why I like to say, you know, medicine. That's why I always say medicine, because if you're teaching your child, you know, medicine as medicine, they're going to click. So when someone says marijuana or cannabis, they're not going to think of it. Oh, as a drug. I need to tell someone that my parents are taking this. They're going to be like, oh, that's my mom's medicine. You know, I don't need to tell. That's an adult thing. I'm going to go over here. So it's not like that taboo thing. And I think it's it's a taboo thing. This is what my mom friends keep saying, like, this is mommy's medicine, just like they wouldn't touch your all the other things they know they're not supposed to touch. They understand what it is, but it's also not being hidden because when it's hidden is what makes it interesting. Or, yeah. You know? <laughs> yes. And, and that's like, so I'm fairly young, I like to yeah. say. And my friends, a lot of my friends don't have kids and they always thought it was so funny because my kids are so normalized to it. So like we would say we, you know, pre-COVID, I would be like, go inside mommy and her friends are going to take our medicine and they'd be like all right bye and like not even blink an eye and everyone would be like oh my god how did you get your kids to them like it's normal for them like they know they're not allowed to be around it like and they they don't don't want to be around it right and they don't judge they know that i'm a great mom they know that you know after we're probably going to do some weird you know play area things that they like to do or fight monsters because that's what yeah. they like to do so and that is part of what i talk to people about is that this idea that you are actually engaged with your children in a very impressive way really once you are relaxed in your own body so again just give us the name of the book how do people find it and are you connected to schools or anything how are you actually going into the communities at this point Oh, goodness. I wish. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> We're still in the beginning. Mary Jane in the medicine train right now is available on our website, which is familyf.us. And it is $18.99. We are still waiting on our first. So our Kickstarter was a couple months ago, and we've been waiting for our actual books to get here. I have mine right behind here. So we should actually have them in a couple of weeks. So. And holiday season coming up. I love giving books. All right. So just another plug. All this will be in our show notes. And thank you so much because together we're helping to normalize it and crush the cannabis stigma. Thanks, Marley. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right. Back with my friend, Mika Brown. Okay. Mellow Fellows and your line of products. Let's just start. (laughs) So earlier this year, I transitioned out of Pure Oasis and went up to work for Mellow Fellows up in Havel. Um, which was a a whole new journey, a whole new chapter. Mellow, I walked into and there was no walls. Uh, So this was like building a dispensary from scratch. And let me just tell you, that has been completely exciting considering we had inspection yesterday and we are on our way. So I'm so excited to share that. So you're involved. So you were involved with this from the very, very, very beginning. Okay. Very, very, very beginning. That's exciting. Uh, And all your knowledge come together at this one. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. You know, the thing about cannabis is, is it's brand new. There's no book. There's no right way or wrong way to do things. You have to have the courage to really step up and say, you know, this isn't working. Let's try this and see how it works out. You have to be in flow. You have to be able to pivot on a moment's notice. And so really hiring a team and and managing a team that gets that, that understands that 
we may have to take your idea and flush it out a bazillion, alien billion times and add or subtract to get to where we really want to be. So that's what's been great about the Mellow Fellows experience. What's your actual role there? I'm the general manager okay. uh, at Mellow Fellows. So all your community um, so stuff is coming together. I like, you know, even when you're talking about your childhood, that you had a group there. This is how you function together as a team or family, whatever. And you're bringing it to the cannabis industry. I think that's so great. Yeah, we're, mm-hmm. we are also launching um, Mellow Farms. Um, we have quite a bit of land that our dispensary sits on. And so one of the owner's sons is a farmer. And so he and I got to talking and, you know, I'm a gardener. And we were just like, wouldn't it be great if we could grow food on this land and donate it? So uh, we are, yeah, so we are currently building raised beds on the land. We sketched it all out and walked the property and measured it and did all that stuff and came up with a farm plan that would allow us to have about 52 boxes. We had our Mellow Monday event on Monday where we invited all of our vendors and community partners to come in and ask them if they would sponsor a box for us uh, to help us get all of, you know, the soil and the... And where, and where were the box? Where the, how are the boxes being distributed? So we have partnered with two local nonprofits, the Emmaus House, and the St. James Parish, which has food kitchens mm-hmm. and uh, distributes food. So 60% of what we grow will be distributed to them. The other 40% will be distributed in-house to our team. Uh, because food insecurity, as we know, is oh, something yes. that has been kind of a secret for a long time. We've mm-hmm. only associated food insecurity with people who are homeless. But food insecurity can affect those that literally get a check that work 40 hours a week, um, but have no idea how they're going to feed their family. Um, and that, that's something that came really close to me during COVID. You know, I was home for a little bit of time and, and I got the opportunity to drop off food boxes literally right in my community to get people a box of food every week with fresh fruits and vegetables and things like that. And not processed foods, not things that come in a can in a box of fresh fruits and vegetables and herbs uh, that, so that is so amazing and i would just say like no i say this every show every time i talk to a dispensary owner or anyone in this it's we have to go above and beyond we just can't come into a community you have to give back it's kind of the regulations or whatever how we're functioning and look at the things my lady friends are doing expungements farms we're changing the way business looks and we're changing the way community looks that is so amazing i love that for me, it's a merging of all of the things that I love, being an entrepreneur, being in business, uh, gardening and food insecurity and community development and community work uh, and cannabis. All those things I love to do and I get to do them every day. And that is what the cannabis industry has provided me, the opportunity to build upon all of the things that I love, mix them all together and produce a better, more thriving community. So, yeah, that's what we're doing up at Mellow right now. And just, okay, I just have to wrap up. I can't believe I still had other things to say, but we'll bring you back maybe. Um, Just tell us exactly where it is and what's the opening date, and um, it'll all be in the show notes. Okay, um, so Mellow is in Havel on Route 110 at exit 111 off of Highway 495, going in the north direction and in the south direction. We uh, just had inspection yesterday, so we're hoping to be open the end of October, 1st of November, and we're just so excited to get open. I can't wait to get started. 
I'm excited to have to come make a trip. It's not that far away from here. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today, Mika. Um, didn't even get to your gardening with your daughter or your herbal certificate, really. But, you know, that's how I met her. I met her on Clubhouse. We're talking about that. All right. I just want to thank you today for coming in. And what's the best way to reach you or connect with you? Best way to reach me is on Instagram at Roxbury Girl. And that's Roxbury with an E, not a U. Or at Meeksb, which is M-E-A-K-S-B on Instagram, or you can just simply find me on Facebook at Mika Brown. Uh, and that's M-E-A-K-A. Awesome. No one ever says to find me on Clubhouse. Maybe that's going to be in the future. Okay. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. I still forget. I forget all the time. Thank you so much for having me, Joyce. Well, thank you for being here. So for my guest today, Mika Brown of Mellow Fellows and Mellow Farms, I'm very excited to go up there and check it out when it's open. And Mallory, thank you for sharing your story. And my canna bro today, John Gay, thank you. Awesome time having you here. And our Canada Mom Show team, Catherine and Hayden, another great week. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Canada Mom Show, where we are talking about caring for and giving voice to women in the emerging cannabis industry, one canna story at a time. Thank you for following and subscribing and sharing all the amazing canna stories of the women building this new industry so together we can crush the stigma around cannabis and caregiving. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is the Cannamon Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.